This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to another episode of the Diabetes Knowledge into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. This series is CME accredited and this episode is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. So to claim credits, go to diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com to complete a pre and post activity assessment. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Eli Lilly, who've had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. In the 11th episode of the series, we're discussing the SPARS programme of trials of tazepatide, a dual GIP-GLP-1 receptor agonist for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, which has been approved by the FDA and given a positive opinion by the CHMP recommending its authorisation by the EMA. We've invited Professor Carol Wisham to discuss the implications of the trials for clinical practice. Professor Wisham is Clinical Professor of Medicine at University of Washington School of Medicine and is immediate past president of the Endocrine Society. She's also served as past chair of the American Diabetes Association's Professional Practice Committee and as an investigator for several major clinical trials, including SURPASS-1. But first, we'll provide a brief overview of the SURPASS program of Phase 3 clinical trials investigating tazepatide in type 2 diabetes. SURPASS-1 aimed to assess efficacy and safety of tazepatide in individuals with uncontrolled type 2 diabetes, naive to diabetes injectable therapies. Once weekly doses of 5, 10 and 15 milligrams were all superior to placebo for the primary outcome measure of reduction in HbA1c from baseline. Safety data showed that the most frequent adverse events were transient gastrointestinal events such as vomiting, diarrhea and nausea, and clinically significant or severe hyperglycemia was not reported in tazepatide groups. SURPASS-2 compared tazepatide 5, 10 and 15 mg once weekly with subcutaneous semaglutide 1 mg once weekly and included individuals already taking metformin and with a BMI of at least 25. All three doses of tazepatide were superior to semaglutide for HbA1c reduction and for reductions in body weight. As with SURPASS-1, the most common adverse events were gastrointestinal but a number of cases of clinically significant hyperglycemia were reported in all study groups, including one case of severe hyperglycemia in both the tazepatide 5mg and 15mg groups. In SURPASS-3, participants were randomised to tazepatide 5, 10 or 15mg or titrated insulin degladec. The participants were already taking metformin with or without an SGLT2 inhibitor but with inadequately controlled HbA1c of between 7 and 10.5%, as well as a BMI of at least 25. Participants taking all three tazepatide doses had greater reductions in mean HbA1c and a lower rate of hyperglycemia compared with participants taking Degladec, and significantly more participants in the tazepatide groups achieved an HbA1c of less than 7%. In SURPASS-4, Participants had established cardiovascular disease or a high cardiovascular risk, a BMI of at least 25, and they were already taking metformin with or without a sulfonylurea or SGLT2 inhibitor. They were randomized to 5, 10 or 15 mg tazepatide or 100 units per milliliter insulin glargine titrated to reach fasting plasma glucose of less than 100 mg per deciliter. Significantly greater HbA1c reductions were observed in the tazepatide groups compared with the insulin glargine group, along with significantly greater weight loss and fewer adverse events of hyperglycemia 
while safety assessments demonstrated no excess cardiovascular risk when using tazepatide. Surpass 5 compared 5, 10 and 15 mg tazepatide with placebo in participants already taking insulin glargine with or without metformin. Participants taking tazepatide had significantly greater reductions in mean HbA1c levels and body weight compared with those taking placebo. Ongoing trials are currently expanding our knowledge of how tazepatide compares to other treatments such as insulin Lispro in Surpass 6 when added on top of insulin glargine with or without metformin. In the cardiovascular outcomes trial called Surpass CVOT of participants with type 2 diabetes, overweight and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, tazepatide is being compared with dulagotide for effect on major adverse cardiovascular events, which dulagotide has been proven to reduce. Other ongoing trials include Surpass Early, comparing tazepatide against conventional intensified type 2 diabetes management, and Surpass PEDS, investigating tazepatide in paediatric and adolescent type 2 diabetes in participants taking metformin, basal insulin, or both. Tazepatide has also been investigated in people without diabetes in the recently concluded Surmount 1 trial in people with obesity and in summit in patients with obesity and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. But how does the approval and trial results of this new pharmacotherapy translate into real-life clinical practice? Let's start our interview with Professor Carol Wisham. You can find her disclosures in the episode notes. So firstly, of the surpassed trials that have reported data so far, were there any efficacy results that stood out to you or surprised you? Well, as you look across the surpassed studies, what really stands out is the effect of terzepatide on glycemic control. And even the five milligram dose demonstrated greater effect on A1C than did the comparator treatments. It didn't matter if it was um, a GLP-1 or insulin as a comparator. And in the populations that are probably most appropriate for consideration of a terzepatide, those on background orals with or without insulin, the A1C reduction at the highest dose was 2.4 to 2.6%. And upwards of 90% of patients reached their target A1C of less than 7%. And over 50% actually reached a normal A1C of less than 5.7. And equally surprising was the benefit on weight, 11 to 13 kilograms of weight loss and a very high proportion, about 60%, lost more than 10%, and 40% of patients lost more than 15%. So studies have shown that weight loss of greater than 10% has been associated with a decrease in cardiovascular events in patients with diabetes, and in patients with NASH, a decrease in fibrosis score has also been shown. So whereas all patients were counseled on diet um, and, and lifestyle, these studies did not have a formal dietary intervention. So the trials all looked at different study populations and comparators. Which of those do you think are the most relevant for clinicians in their everyday practice? So practically, I think we need to be looking at terzepatide as potentially one of the first or second injectable therapies. Even though the American Diabetes Association recommends that GLP-1 receptor agonists should be considered as the first injectable therapy in type 2 diabetes, I think today it's still more common for people to reach for basal insulin in that setting. So if you look at the surpassed studies, there were studies that compared 
uh, terzepatide to semaglutide, one milligram, as well as um, insulin. There was one with uh, comparing to Degladec and one comparing to Glargine. And I think these are probably the most useful comparisons. In Surpass 2, uh, terzepatide was evaluated against what is currently the most powerful GLP-1 receptor agonist, semaglutide. And they found that the end of treatment difference in A1C between the highest dose of terzepatide, or 15 milligrams, was about 0.6% higher than that was seen with semaglutide, one milligram. And the mean weight loss or tazepatide was double that of semaglutide one milligram, about 13 uh, kilograms versus about six kilograms. So obviously, um, we are looking at an agent that is going to give us some additional um, effects that are going to be beneficial for our patients. If you look at the insulin comparator studies, terzepatide treatment resulted in a 1% greater reduction in A1C than titrated insulin in these studies. And looking at safety data, was this consistent across the trials? And what are the implications for real-world clinical practice? So the side effect profiles of terzepatide are very consistent across the trials. They're primarily gastrointestinal and are consistent with that that we already are very familiar with the GLP-1 receptor agonist class. That is nausea, vomiting, dyspepsia, diarrhea, and constipation. Nausea is the most frequent side effect and the frequency of that was similar with terzepatide as compared to semaglutide one milligram and occurred in about 20% of patients. But as I like to tell patients, that means 80% of patients did not experience any nausea. Like the GLP-1 receptor agonist, nausea occurs early and tends to wane after one to two weeks. And in trying to mitigate the impact of nausea, there is a very slow titration period um, that has uh, resulted in a decreased frequency of nausea with the highest doses. Now, anecdotal evidence with GLP-1 receptor agonists suggests that nausea can be minimized by smaller serving sizes at the meals, having patients eat more slowly, and to consider a lower fat content of their diet. And what do you think the SURPASS trials mean for future treatment choices for people with type 2 diabetes? Well, first of all, I would like to suggest that our listeners review the 2022 EASD ADA recommendations for treatment of hyperglycemia and type 2 diabetes, which should be available online. These guidelines emphasize a patient-centered approach to the selection of therapies. First, they recommend that those with cardiovascular disease or chronic kidney disease should be treated with a GLP-1 receptor agonist and or an SGLT2 inhibitor, and those with congestive heart failure with an SGLT2 inhibitors. But in the absence of those compelling indications, they are suggesting that we begin to consider use of therapies that are most effective for reduction A1C, but also keep in mind the consideration of the weight effects of these therapies. So they go forward further to rank these agents and their recommendations according to what they think are the most effective in both categories. And terzepatide along with semaglutide were identified as the most effective agents in A1C and weight reduction both. So in the absence of cardiorenal complications of diabetes, terzepatide could be considered at any time that we can 
currently use a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And if the SURPASS-6 study demonstrates CV benefit, this will expand the indications for terzepatide to those populations as well. Finally, what would be your takeaway message from this interview for clinicians working in type 2 diabetes management? So terzepatide is the first of many coagonist agents which are being studied for their glycemic and weight reduction properties. And these include other dual coagonists as well as triple coagonists. It's important that you realize that these agents are all working through the incretin system, which the incretin hormones are absolutely key to the correction of postprandial hyperglycemia. And they also help to reset the hypothalamic satiety center. And that explains their properties of reducing the postprandial and overall glycemic control and should help um, the majority of our patients achieve glycemic control and also to lose meaningful amounts of weight. This brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app or recommend us to your colleagues. We also have a website where you can find other episodes of the podcast as well as other free educational diabetes resources. You can find a link to this in the episode notes as well as all the references discussed today. See you next time.